Thanks, Joel. Someone told me when Satan fell, he landed in the technical part of the church. (laughs) I believed that until I met Jordan. (laughs) He has his iPhone, and that does everything. Um, We do want to say we have prayer cards in the end for you on the the table there. And uh, if if you don't receive our prayer letter, you'd like to uh, just come and give us your... uh, your name and your email address. We'd be glad to put that uh, together for you. Well, this morning I'd like us to look at what God says about missions, but kind of from a future point of view looking back, a little different than maybe what you're used to. But you see, I believe that Christians who know that God has a plan, that God is in charge, that he's in control, those Christians will be involved in God's work and especially in reaching a lost world. Now, don't misunderstand. Um, Sometimes we get the idea when missionaries speak that they don't think what we're doing is important. Local ministry, local missions is so necessary. There are people that are hurting right here, around here, marriages that are struggling, children that are disobeying, teenagers who are rebelling, People who are sick, maybe going through cancer or all kinds of other struggles. And the ministry of the local church is so important. But also, local missions is important. You know, there are thousands of people that live right around here who don't know Christ. You have a university right here. What a challenge to reach these people. Pastors, church leaders, churches, Christians, we're also all responsible. This is where the the word goes out from, and we're responsible uh, to take the word and lead the way to reach a lost world. But the question I have this morning is, what what is our motivation? People say, you've been 40 years in France. Uh, Why are you there? Why do you stay there? It's an interesting question, because so often we get it wrong. What is our motivation to serve the Lord and reach a lost world? You see, if my understanding, if my belief in God, that God is in control, that God has a plan, if that is true, that I believe that God is sovereign over all these things, then I am going to be involved in some way. Now let's look at what God says in the book of Revelation, (laughs) a strange place to go for missions message maybe, but Revelation chapter 5. And we'll begin with verse 1. He writes, chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Let's stop there for a second. God has a plan. It's written in this book that he has in his hand. The redemptive plan for the world reaching a lost world, but also the judgment at the end times when those who don't know Christ will be judged and sentenced to hell. And this book that he has in his hand, the plan from creation all the way through redemption, everything in its place, he has a plan. He has a plan from for the created world. But he also has a plan for the nations, 
Did you see that here in these verses? His plan for those who will believe in him. People say to me, what about man's responsibility? Isn't man responsible for something? Absolutely. For our choices. Man is responsible in history. But God is sovereign over all of human history. I'm not saying that man is indispensable by any stretch of the imagination. The idea of a of a sovereign God who is struggling uh, because he needs help to accomplish his will because he's made this plan to love a world, uh, and so we've got to get involved. That's crazy. But you see, <clears throat> many missionary appeals touch this very idea that God is in need of our help, that he needs us. God is sovereign. He needs nothing. And if there are no pastors, churches, missionaries, or anything else, he's still going to accomplish his will and make a name for himself and reach the world as he's planned. He's in charge. But because he's decided to love the world, God doesn't need us to get the job done, but he has invited us by his grace to be involved in the spread of the gospel. And we're going to see in this chapter what is going to happen in the end times. And we can be a part of it today in accomplishing his will. There's another truth here in these verses, and let's read verse 2 and 3. He says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Verse 3. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. Amazing. Man, without Christ, is lost. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. And this book in God, God's hands that contains the purposes of God to the end of the world, redemption, the defeat of Satan, and sin, and the coming of his kingdom. And yet, he says, no one is able to open the book. In verse 4, he says, he wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or even look inside it. You know, this silence in heaven shows the sinfulness of man, that no one is worthy. And John is weeping as he gets a glimpse of the state of man before God apart from Christ. There is no hope. The destiny of man, apart from Christ, is hell. A place of fire, a place of destruction. A place where after millions and millions of years, people will be no closer to the end than the day they began. And they will never, ever be delivered from that place. Do we believe that? This is why John is weeping. Because he sees the future of man before God apart from Christ. And there's nothing but judgment and eternal damnation. Oh, man is guilty. Romans 1 verse 18 tells us, it speaks 
of the creation and the creator. You see, man has no excuse. Even in the darkest part of Africa or in the village in, in Asia or some other remote place in this world, People say, well, Steve, what about the man in the, in the heart of Africa who's never heard the gospel? The innocent person, what happens to him when he dies? The answer is simple. The innocent man goes directly to heaven. Problem is, there are none. It doesn't exist. Everyone is guilty before God. There are billions of people in our world today without, whose only knowledge of God is sufficient to damn them to hell forever and ever. But he goes on in this chapter and he says, but there's hope. Look at verse 6, or verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. There's an answer. God is in control. He has a plan. Man is lost. But Jesus is the answer. In verse 5, he says, weep no more. You see, from the beginning of time, men have come and gone. The strongest, the bravest, the greatest, the richest. And all have fallen to sin and a slave to Satan. All have died. All except one. There came a man. He never sinned. He had power over sin. He didn't succumb to death. He had power over death. The Apostle Paul writes and says, O death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? The sting of death is is sin, and the power of death is the law. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when he says here, the root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has come, and he has conquered. How did he conquer? And It's like John turns to look to see the conquering lion, and what does he see? A slaughtered lamb. The Lamb of God. If you're here in the, the early hour this morning, we saw uh, the idea of the Passover feast and all the symbolism that that creates. And I think of the people of Israel where God told them to take a lamb, to kill the lamb and to take the blood and, and sprinkle it over the doorpost. And they would be delivered under the banner of the blood of the Lamb. Centuries later, the prophet Isaiah, he took the same image and he spoke of the Lamb that would be led to the slaughter, the Lamb of God, the Holy Son of God, sacrificed for the sins of man according to the will of God. How would the, lamb, the lion conquer? As a suffering lamb to pay the price of our sin so that all who hide under the banner of his blood will be saved. And that's verse 6. In verse 6 we see him standing. Then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. 
encircled by four living creatures and elders. He's standing. The Lamb who endured death in our place. He conquered death. The one who is victorious over death, but who bears the scars of death in his body. And then verses 7 and 8, where he says, He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one a harp, had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Incredible. No one could take the book or open the book. No one was worthy. But Jesus walks right up to the throne and he takes the book. Surrounded by all the creatures, the hosts of angels, he takes the scroll from God's hand. You see, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the only answer. He's the only one worthy. This is a picture of the the deity of Christ. Paul says, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friend, this is the greatest news in all the world. The greatest news of all time. That Jesus is the answer. God is in control. He has a plan. But man is lost. And he's headed for hell. But Jesus is the answer. Isn't that incredible? The greatest news in all the world. Apparent defeat gives way to astonishing victory. So there's hope for all people. And this is so important. Christ's work of reconciliation. It's for all people. Look at verses 9 and 10 where he says, verse 9, they sang a new song. What's the song? You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Verse 10, and you've made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Isn't that incredible? Christ has purchased you and me. God purposed to save you. Christ purposed to purchase you with his own blood. And so when you go through struggles, when you see your weaknesses, when you're having problems, those moments of trials in your marriage or in your family, maybe with your health, the times that you just feel like quitting, Remember this, before all of creation, God Almighty, before the the sun was placed in the sky or the stars, God Almighty chose to save your soul. Think of the lost. Think of those who have not heard the message of the gospel. You and I have been born into this time and place I don't know if you've come directly from Lancaster or you've moved here, but you've been born into this time and place where you've heard the gospel many times over. Remember this. We had nothing to do with where we were born. We had nothing to do with the gospel being so clearly presented to us. 
But God ordained your life and my life to be counted among the saved, those who have heard and been reached with the gospel of Christ. But you see, the problem is, it's not just us. He's purchased men and women, according to these verses, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every people group that exists. And they tell us there are 2 billion people that have never heard the gospel, 6,000 people groups who've never been touched with the gospel. You say, wait a minute. According to these verses, there will be someone from every tribe and nation that exists. When is Christ coming back? I don't know. (laughs) I do know this. He hasn't come back yet. And so there's still lost and unreached people, which means our job is not done. God wills that people from all people groups be ransomed. Christ has willed, according to Matthew 28, that his disciples and us Go and make disciples of all nations. So if we believe, verse 9, that there are people around the throne worshiping God, then today we will go. And we will do what Christ has commanded us to do. Why? And here's a problem. Because we feel guilty about it? Oh boy, you know, there's still some that haven't heard. I guess I, guess I better go. <laughs> no. Or because we have so many resources here. I've heard that too. But that's not it either. No, we go for the glory of the King of Kings. You see, we believe that Jesus deserves the praise of every single people group in this whole world. Can you picture verse 12? where he says, in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. The beauty of people from all races, all people groups around the throne and joined by myriads and myriads of angels who sing in verse 12. And then verse 13, I heard a voice. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the, under the sea and all that is sing, all them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. I think, and this is what we live for, isn't it? The day we will be around the throne praising the King of Kings for the salvation, for the sacrifice Lamb of God. And friend, I believe this is what we die for. It's what we're willing to die for. Let me just give you a few applications from this text this morning. For people who believe that God has a plan, that God is in charge, He knows what He's doing. It's all written in the book. For people who believe that man is lost without Christ. And he's headed for a Christless eternity forever and ever and ever. And people who believe that the greatest news in all the world is that Jesus is the slaughtered Lamb of God who provides a way of salvation. For people who believe these things, You see, we don't just sit back and say, oh, God has a plan. 
Ah, how's he going to do it? (laughs) And we watch. No, we have a job. We need to, first of all, pray confidently. Confidently for the spread of the gospel in this world. Because God has a plan doesn't mean we don't pray. It means it's necessary to pray. We kind of jumped over verse 8, but look what verse 8 says again. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Our prayers are piling up before the throne of God, and at the right moment, God is going to accomplish His kingdom in this world. What a great end to what's going to happen. And it's based on our prayers. That's what He says. So let's pray confidently. Let's pray, your kingdom come. And as we pray for the different groups, the Muslims, the Buddhists, and all the people around the world, whatever their group may be, the animists, the Hindus, you see, our prayers are piling up at the altar of God, and one day at the appointed time, He's going to bring in His kingdom and accomplish His will. Reminds you of Matthew 24, verse 14, that says the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. People say, when is that? I don't know, but I know this. The job isn't done yet. He hasn't come back. So we need to be busy praying, but also giving. We need to learn to give sacrificially. People say to me, what do you see happening in the world today? And as I look from France back at America, and I see how much God has given us in this country, how rich we are. And you might say, well, we're not rich. <laughs> in comparison with the rest of the world, Christians in America are rich. And I say, why? I think Psalm 67 is the answer. I think I preached this one time when I was here. But in Psalm chapter 67, Psalm 67, it says... May God be gracious to us, bless us, and make His face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on all the earth, your salvation among all nations. I think He's blessed America so that we can go out and bless the rest of the world with the message of salvation. A third application, we need to go intentionally. To pray confidently, give sacrificially, but to go intentionally to all peoples. And you know, that that means different things. That means, for example, using different avenues. And we have short-term missions. There's good and bad ways to use short-term missions. That means mid-term missions. Two months to two years for college students, semi-retired people, retired people, teachers off in the summer. You see, in our world today, there are Timothys and there are Pauls. The Timothys are those that God calls to stay and to preach and to teach and to to help the church to grow. But there are also Pauls that God wants to send out to the end of the earth. And I wonder, what are you doing to come alongside of some young person or someone and encourage them to give it all and to go? We also need to use a variety of different people. Not just different means, but different people. Businessmen, school teachers, medical personnel, sports people. Our son Mark is now doing uh, tent making because he went to the Basque people in the southern part of France. Missionaries just don't make it there. But he's teaching at the University of Pau 
in the southern part of France, amongst the Basque people, using other means to go in places that won't accept missionaries. And there are a lot of them today. But we can get in through different means. Some people say, aren't there just some local Christians there who could do the job better? We'll just send them money. (laughs) But that's the point. In many of these places, there are no local Christians. And there are no Bibles. These people are headed for hell because of the knowledge they have of God is enough to condemn them, but they don't understand there's a Redeemer. And are we willing to die for the spread of the gospel to all people? Unreached people, lost people are lost because many times they're hard to reach. They're difficult. They're dangerous in many areas to reach lost people. They'll oppose you when you try. You see, but not only are we compelled to go, as Jesus said, but we're confident as we go that nothing can happen to us apart from God's perfect will. Nothing. That's why in Acts chapter 4, when the, when the persecution began on the church, their prayer in Acts 4 verse 24 is, Sovereign Lord. That's the way they started. Sovereign Lord. They knew their persecution could do nothing to them outside the will of God. People say to me, but if we go, won't it be difficult? Uh, we might suffer, no? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's the point. You see, not only do we go and it's difficult, but it's difficult because the sovereign design of God for the spread of the gospel includes suffering. We don't like to hear that, but it's true. It starts, and you'll read this chapter in, in Revelation 5, it starts with the suffering of God's Son, the slaughtered Lamb of God. Over in chapter 6 and verse 11, it tells us there will be many martyrs because of the, the sharing of the gospel. Jesus suffered to provide the gospel. We suffer today to propagate that gospel to a lost world. Now, we don't go out looking for for suffering or to be a martyr. But it's true that proclaiming the gospel of Christ to the end of the world will mean suffering because it's the sovereign design of God. That's the way the message went out in Acts chapter 8. They stoned Stephen and it says, and the gospel went out as the missionaries, as the, the disciples were scattered throughout the world. It's always been the way God has reached a lost world. And so, as we end this morning, and I look at this chapter, and I think, man, I think we ought to be done with our weak theology today that results in weak approaches to reaching lost people. Let's believe deeply that there is a God who has a plan He knows what he's doing. And he's even planned the end. But the end is when all tribes, nations, will gather around the throne and worship the King of Kings, the slaughtered Lamb of God. Do you believe that there's a God with a plan who holds the destiny of the world in his hands? Do you recognize as well the lostness of man, the state of man apart 
from Christ, eternally lost. You recognize that Jesus is the answer. And so to begin to pray with confidence, to give sacrificially to reach a lost world, and to go with the greatest news in all the world and to go to all peoples. Let's be a part of what God is doing. It's amazing. And someday to stand around the throne of God with people from every tongue and nation because we've prayed, because we've given, because we've gone, because we've shared that good news. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for a perfect plan. We know you're sovereign. We know you're capable. And thank you for allowing us to be a part in this great worldwide ministry. Help these people here at Grace Baptist to know their part, to do their part, and to be involved in that greatest thing that this world has to offer through Jesus, who died, who gave his life, and who is the answer to people going to a lost eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.